the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. One is a Master of the Law of Taxation Law and the other is a Master of the Law of Intellectual Property Law. Both of my master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. And because of my interests and my experience and my training, I practice mostly bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that as part of my practice, I'm sometimes able to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of one or more of the various forms of elder abuse. I'm, as always, so pleased to be able to come to you from the beautiful Kate Back Studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting families and small business owners. However, and as always, I have to tell you that this show does not provide legal advice, and I'm not your attorney. <laughs> and anyone within the sound of my voice you must realize that this show is an educational forum that's intended to exchange information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with an outline of some of the issues that may help you seek out qualified professional help. And I do this because, as you know, I'm known for saying on this show that if you don't have legal help, qualified legal help to help you with a legal matter, it's like going to a gunfight with a butter knife. Basically, you're going to lose. And since I make <laughs> references to gunfights when I talk about the players and the roles in legal disputes, I heard from a listener who <laughs> appears to be questioning my knowledge of Westerns because, after all, I'm just a girl. And everybody knows that girls don't know anything about Westerns. Well, my dear male friend... Uh, and all your other listeners out there, I want to share with you a few facts. First off, I'm hardly a girl. In fact, it's only because I was born in the late 50s and way back in the dark ages of the 1960s when I was a little girl, most young men spent at least part of their Saturday afternoons in movie theaters across this country watching westerns, either in the serial format 
or as a feature length of a new or revived film. And because I was the bane of my older brother's existence, I got to tag along with him and his friends when we'd go to the movies. Also in the 60s, most middle-class families like mine had television sets, and TV stations found that running old movies were a profit center because the licensing fees, if any, were much cheaper than producing new content. So it was precisely because of the accident of my age and gender that I come to know Westerns and love that genre. And also because I'm a nerd, I have to know how things work and why they work, and I'm also a history buff. My love for the genre also led me to conduct research that I needed to know to understand the basis of the genre, which some of you might find unbelievable, but it's true. They're based on facts, although they've been greatly romanticized and mythologized. For example, if most, many if not most of the great westerns came out of real events that sprung from a set of homestead acts, those were federal government laws that were implemented up to and after the Civil War, which gave away more than 160 million acres of public land, mostly west of the Mississippi River. He gave away so much land that it totaled between 10 and 12 percent of the total size of the U.S. Uh, popul- uh, US acreage, and it was given to 1.6 million homesteaders between 1862 and 1934. Homestead was discontinued in the lower 48 states in 1972, but it carried on in Alaska until 1986. And I think I told you before that I spent some time in Alaska in elementary, and I started high school there. So many of my classmates were the children of homesteaders. So I know a little bit about homesteading. In fact, the first Homestead Act of 1862 opened up millions of acres, and any adult who had not taken up arms against the federal government of the United States could apply, along with immigrants who were applying for citizenship. Uh, Women could also apply and were eligible. And in 1866, the act explicitly um, started to include black Americans and encouraged them to participate. However, discrimination kind of limited the ability of blacks to use the Homestead Act to gain land. But in fact, a quarter of the blacks that were farmers were able to gain their land outright, including members of my extended family. As such, the Homestead was an area of public land granted to U.S. citizens willing to settle on the land and farm it. And those laws... And those who followed it took it required a three-step procedure. You had to file an application, you had to improve the land, and then you had to file for a deed. Any, again, any citizen who didn't take up arms against the United States in the Civil War and then freed slaves uh, after the Civil War and the 14th Amendment who were at least 21 years of old or they headed a household could file an application and get a federal land grant. And as I said earlier, women were also able to participate. You had to res- um, reside on the land for five years and had to show evidence of improvements, that is to say a house or some other outbuilding, or 
building, and the process had to be completed within seven years. So how, unfortunately, manipulation of the Homestead Act led to feuds that sometimes turned into outright range wars formed the basis of the Western genre. And although the intent of the Homestead Act was to increase agricultural land, because the land west of the uh, Rocky Mountains was arid and water was in short supply, many people... um, They use shenanigans to gain the land next to water. And when that happened, they were mostly ranchers or speculators from back east who gave money to buy the land. It caused strife between real farmers and the cattle barons. And one of the big issues, one of the big range wars that took place in the West was known as the Johnson County War, and it took place in Johnson County, Wyoming, and it lasted a long time, from 1889 to 19, to 1893. And it began when cattle barons started saying that innocent settlers were rustling their cattle, and it erupted in all kinds of violence that ended only when the President of the United States sent the cavalry in to break up the parties. So the events of the Johnson County War have since become mythologized and they symbol the story of the Wild West. And over the years, various forms of storylines have included some historic figures who might or might not have been there, in addition to being one of the most well-known range wars in the American frontier. Its themes, including the class warfare that ensued, form the basis of most modern Western films and books. So my dear male friends out there in the universe, I do know about Westerns. And you want to know what my three favorite Westerns are? As I said last time, Shane starring Alan Ladd, Gene Arthur, Van Heflin, Brandon DeWilda, and Walter Jack Palance. It was produced in 1953. My second favorite is Unforgiven starring Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris, and it was produced in 1992. And my third favorite is Open Range, starring Kevin Costner, Robert Duvall, Annette Bennings, Michael Gambon, and it was produced in 2003, to name three of my favorite movies. So, once again, now that I've laid the foundation of why I say taking a, not, not taking a lawyer, if you have a legal matter, is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight, The Johnson County Wars is a really good example of that. So with that, let's continue our discussion about entrepreneurship and small business. And we're going to go through in a little bit more detail some of the things that you need to consider when starting your business, especially your business structure. Because as I said last time, that will prelude, be the prelude to um, how you're going to deal with your debt and what will happen if you have to go belly up, and also how you're going to deal with your taxes and how you're going to deal with the bodies that regulate you, including state and local governments. So let's start with the basic, sole proprietorship. A sole proprietorship is someone who owns an unincorporated business by him or herself. In effect, the new business is an extension of the existing person legally and for taxation purposes. The amount of control that you have if you're a sole proprietor is total. 
the setup costs and recurring costs as far as documentation and paperwork with governmental entities is minimal to none. There are no administrative formalities. However, all of the liability comes back to the owners. And again, the tax treatment is just another form that you have to fill out, maybe more than one form, but form that you have to fill out showing your profit and loss from which if there's profit, it goes to one line of your uh, of your 1040. If you have losses, it takes away the amount of taxes that you have to pay. Um, you know, expansion is limited because it's just you. You can't bring on new people. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion looking at partnership. But first, we're going to take a short break to listen to some of the uh, interested parties that are interested in the show. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back. Uh, This is Selwyn's Law. I'm Selwyn, and we're going to continue our discussion on some of the key issues you need to consider when structuring your business after, you know, we've taken uh, a look at the overall things that we need to consider last week. Now we're going to go and look at each type of business. We've talked about sole proprietorships. Now let's talk about partnerships. A partnership is a relationship existing between two or more persons who join together to carry out a trade or business. Each person contributes money, property, labor, or skills, and expects to share in the profits and the losses of the business. There are two common kinds of partnerships. There is a limited partnership, and then there's a limited liability partnership. Limited partnerships have only one general partner with unlimited liability, and all the other partners have limited liability. So that's where a Selwyn is the general partner, and she might have uh, three other limited partners, and each of them put in some amount of money. The limited partner's liability is limited to their um, investment, as it were, because they're not managing the company. One of the things that brings on the liability for taxes and uh, malfeasance and nonfeasance and for harming uh, third parties is taking an active role in controlling the business. So in a limited partnership, one limited, uh, limited partner with um, unlimited liability and other partners have limited liability. And then uh, partnerships with limited liability also have to have limited control over the company, which is doc- it's documented in the partnership agreement. Limited liability partnerships are similar to limited liability partners, but given limited liability over every owner. An LLP protects each partner from debts against the partnership. They won't be responsible for the actions of the other partners. A limited partnership must file annual information returns to report their incomes, deductions, gains, and losses from its operations, but it doesn't pay income taxes. Instead, it passes through any profits or losses to the partner. Each partner concludes includes his or her share of the partnership income or losses on his or her individual tax returns. 
Partners are not employees and should not be issued W-2s. Partnerships must furnish copies of Schedule K-1, that's IRS Form 1065, to the partners by the date the 1065 is required to be filed, including extensions. So, again, the amount of control, general partner is in control with some input from the other partners, the limited partners. So it's not like the general partner can do whatever he or she wants because there's probably a clause in the partnership agreement that talks about disputes. And it might just be that one of the limited partners might decide to take her marbles and go home. Uh, There are minimal startup costs. There are no administrative formalities. Partnerships should hire a lawyer to draft the partnership agreement. The liability uh, for the business are absolutely on the general partner, and it's limited to the limited partners up to the amount of their investment. Again, it's a pass-through entity, so profits and loss are allocated according to the um, partnership agreement to the individual partners, and then the individual partners pay taxes or take losses based on uh, their share of the proceeds from the from the business. Uh, for regulatory compliance, to things like HIPAA, we're dealing with health uh, information and regulatory and environmental issues, again, the general partner is on the hook and liable and accountable for malfeasance and nonfeasance. Access to capital and credit, the financial statements generated by the uh, partnership show whether or not they have the financial world with all an ability to meet lenders' requirements. Uh, if there's issues with employees, again, the general partner is the one that bears the brunt of any um, any type of malfeasance or nonfeasance as opposed to the limited partners. And you might want to have the various kinds of insurance that I talked about in the first series of shows that I had about this particular topic, including general liability insurance, commercial property insurance, uh, business owner policy, automobile insurance, workman's compensation, uh, professional liability insurance, data breach insurance, commercial renter's insurance, and life insurance for at least the general partner because he or she is going to be the one with the knowledge. And in case she becomes unable to perform her duties, you want to have an insurance policy in place that will give you generate the funds for you to bring somebody in to um, – keep the company going while maybe the partners decide to restructure. A- another version of that kind of relationship in a partnership is a limited liability company. An LLC is a business structure that's allowed by some states that lets its owners take advantage of both being a car- corporation and a partnership business structure. Owners of an LLC are called members. Most states do not Restrict ownerships, and so members can include individuals, or they could be corporations, or they could be other LLCs, or they could be foreign entities. So this is a very flexible form of business structure, and a lot of real estate um, entities um, choose this form because you can have corporations and individuals. It's, It's a hybrid of a partnership and a corporation. The LLC protects you, the individual, from personal liabilities. In most instances, it protects your personal assets like your vehicle, your house, and your savings account. 
uh, it won't be in risk in case the LLC faces bankruptcy or lawsuits. Profit and losses are passed through to your personal income without facing corporate tax. So again, it, it, it looks like a corporation, but remember corporations have double taxation. They're taxed at the corporate level, and then the individuals are taxed on their individual uh, tax returns. But this LLC, it, it looks like a corporation, but it acts like a partnership as far as distributing uh, um, income and uh, losses. Uh, members of uh, LLCs are considered self-employed, and must pay self-employment tax. So that's where it's different from a partnership because a partnership you don't pay. Uh, you're not considered uh, an employee, but in an LLC you're considered to be self-employed, and so you have to pay self-employment tax. They have limited life in many states. When a member joins or leaves an LLC, some states require the LLC to be dissolved and reformed with the new member or the absence of the old member, unless there's already an agreement in place within the LLC for buying and selling and transferring ownership. LLCs can be a good choice for medium or higher-risk businesses, owners with significant personal assets they want to protect, and owners who want to pay a lower tax rate than they would in a corporation's double taxation regime. Okay, so again, the amount of control it's shared among the members according to the LLC membership agreement. Setup costs are minimal to none. Um, there are some administrative formalities. Again, I urge you to get a lawyer to draft the LLC membership agreement for you. There are uh, there's limited liability to for debts or none. However, there's something called piercing a corporate veil, and that's where one or more of members or leadership of a corporation or of any any stripe is acting like they're an individual. They're doing things that, uh, like not having full meetings, uh, taking on um, debt on their own right, doing things that are harming, could harm the corporation, or basically not acting like a se- an entity separate from themselves. In those instances, there's something known as a creditor's or a, a, a person who's harmed piercing the corporate veil and going to the ownership, going to the ownership directly, going to Selwyn directly because of the way Selwyn conducted herself and the business and didn't live up to the formality. So it's very important that you have legal advice in setting up these structures that are entities that are separate and distinct from yourselves for taxation and for liability purposes, you need to make sure you don't do anything that causes one to be able to not only claim you pierced the corporate veil, but a court will actually find that that's the case, and then you will lose the protection that you had sought out. Also, um, depending on the membership agreement, uh, regulatory compliance, Compliance may be spread out through the members, or it might be spread out to just a few of them. Access to capital and credit. Again, financial statements must show the wherewithal and the ability to meet the lender's requirements based on the the profit and loss of the LLC. Also, the membership agreement will spell out who 
uh, makes the decisions about employee and human resource issues and also who and what kind of uh, insurance one might want to have. So I'm going to leave it there for now. And when we come back next time, we're going to pick up and discuss corporations, the three major kinds of corporations, C corporation, S corporation, and a B corporation. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about cowboys and cowgirls. Who knows? (laughs) But in the meantime, I just want to share with all of you, please let's try to stay on the right side of the law. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.